Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 191 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. I feel like we're being very productive this morning. We are being very productive yeah. this morning. We have our, Jill and I do a Thursday meeting every week. Because Joe one day was like, hey, you know what would be great? Instead of just running past each other in the halls and saying, hey, we have that interview. Or, hey, we should do a thing. It's like, we should actually collect our thoughts. And I feel like we just crushed it. We did. So. We did. We planned out a lot of fun things for January that we're excited about for Correct. everybody. So it'll be good stuff. And beyond. But take it one month at a time. One is, month at a time. That's as far forward as we can look. Pretty much. Yep. Um, so you mentioned this is episode 191. What is our episode all about? We did an interview with Heather Demetrios, who is the author of Bad Romance, uh, when we did our Best Books of 2017 episode a couple weeks ago. She was on my list, um, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear this interview we did with her. Yeah, it, she felt like someone that both of us would have been friends with in high school and beyond. Yes. She's really great. Um, I know we go into a lot about what the book is well, in the conversation, naturally, but um, just for people to get a brief snap, and I know that you, you told it during your best books, but um, it's a teenage relationship, and it's all about theater nerds, which is what drew us both to it, so right. I won't get into any more. Well, but... she, I mean, from the beginning, you are aware that it is a teenage romance that um, goes a little upside down. Yeah, doesn't go well. Does not go well. Yeah. That's clear from the beginning. That's, that's not, not a sp- spoiler. That's not a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, so it's just sort of all about navigating that. Yeah. So I would love people's thoughts on this. Um, had a whole, We had a really great conversation about teenagers and experiencing emotions for the first time. And, and not, theater. And the, well, we had a lot of talk about theater. Um, but yeah, just you know, people experiencing emotions for the first time and not really realizing what is and is not abuse, both physically and emotionally and things like that. So would love your thoughts on that. Um, and if people want to give us their thoughts, where can they find us? They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds. And they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. And speaking of social media, our 200th episode is fastly approaching. And we want to give away some stuff. So if you've been listening in the past couple weeks, you may know that we're giving away two Kobo Aura Ones, thanks to our sister company, Kobo. And we're going to give it to one cat lover and one dog lover because Jill and I, duh. Um, So if you want to be quote-unquote entered, it's very simple. Just tag us in a picture on Instagram or Twitter of your cat or dog or someone else's cat or dog or one of your cats or dogs learning how to read ebooks. whatever you want to do. Be as creative as you want. Uh, The deadline to do that, I think we decided, is February 2nd. Is that correct? Yes. So if you can submit those, and by submit, again, just tag us and stuff by February 2nd, uh, we will pick the winner and announce it on our 200th episode, which is going to be February 11th. Let me double check. Yeah, double check that. 12th, February 12th. 12th, February 12th, which is a Monday. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I, 
And even after this ends, if you want to keep tagging us and animal pictures, that's fine. Everyone, come on. Like, imagine how great your day would be if you're us and you just wake up in the morning and someone's tagged a picture of kittens. Just great. Good stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, anything else you think people should know about before they listen to this interview? I think that's everything. I think that's everything, too. So I hope you guys really enjoy this uh, both serious but also fun conversation with Heather Demetrios on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, it's Adam and Jill again, and I'm incredibly excited. We are joined by an author by the name of Heather Demetrios, who has written several critically acclaimed novels, including Something Real and I'll Meet You There. She is a recipient of the Penn New England Susan P. Bloom Discovery Award and has an MFA in writing for children and young adults from Vermont College of Fine Arts. From her website, when she isn't traipsing around the world or spending time in imaginary places, she lives with her husband in New York City, and her latest YA book, Bad Romance, is now available. Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So to get us started, can you give our listeners a brief introduction to Bad Romance? Yeah, so Bad Romance came out of a short story that I wrote for an anthology um, that came out, I think, a year or two ago. And the reason I wrote it is because when I was in high school, I had a very bad romance. And um, I didn't really actually want to think about it anymore, and I kind of pushed it out of my mind. But my husband is a high school teacher, and he started noticing students that were experiencing the same things I did when I was in high school in my bad romance. And so... I decided to write a little bit about it, and I thought I was just going to write the short story, but then it became this whole novel. Um, and so it's, even though like a lot of it is kind of very familiar to me and, and based off of things that I experienced, it is a novel, it is fiction, and um, it follows a girl named Grace, who's a huge theater nerd, which I also am, <laughs> and she falls in love with this kind of bad boy named Gavin, and they have this relationship that seems really dreamy and awesome, and he's very sensitive. He writes poetry and all these things. And then over time, she starts to notice these little signs that things are not what she thought they were. And so the book basically is sort of about this girl who's coming from this dark place in this romantic relationship with this boy that she loves, but she knows that she can't stay with him. But it's really, really, really hard to break up with someone that you love. So it kind of follows her journey through kind of getting back to herself. So you mentioned uh, your husband being a teacher and, you know, having the conversations with him. Is that why you decided to write the book now as opposed to, you know, because you've written several several novels and, you know, multiple different, you've written fantasy and, and romance for YA and things like that. But what were those conversations with your husband why you decided at this point to write this story? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know if I was ever going to write about it, honestly, because it was just like, so traumatic, and it's really hard when you're writing a book um, that deals with really challenging subject matter, because you have to live in that place for quite some time, and, you know, the, the not just writing the book, but then, like, all the times you're going back and forth with your editor, and, like, you read the book a gazillion times, so you really have to be ready for it if you're going to go down those roads, um, but my husband had seen a couple kind of really traumatic relationships between teens play out in his classroom. 
um, just like people that were couples but were both in his class and he would just see like this like you know all this crying and arguing and just like really negative um, talking to one another and then a girl at his school her boyfriend broke her shoulder and um, they got in a fight in the stairwell and of course she said she fell but everybody knew what happened and so I just thought okay you know this wasn't just me it wasn't just my bad experience this is happening to a lot of people and so I started writing it and it wasn't until I started writing it that I really began researching teen dating violence because I had never even heard that term before. I mean, that wasn't a term I was familiar with when I was a teenager. I wasn't like, oh, I'm experiencing teen dating violence. You know, I was just like in this really intense relationship. Um, But I discovered that one out of every three teens in the country is affected by teen dating violence. And it's a crazy statistic, but I think it's true because based on what I'm hearing from other people and I've been getting a lot of emails and readers reaching out to me and when I go and talk to people about the book, it's almost every woman seems to come up to me and say either it happened to her or it happened to somebody that she knows. So it's been kind of wild just seeing, you know, the, the depth and breadth of this experience that I thought was just my own that's actually playing out among a lot of lives right now. <laughs> Sorry, we're both just like, our jaws dropped. Yeah, that's uh, statistic. Oh. Wh- why do you... Yeah, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> Why do you think it is, and I kind of have my own thoughts on this, but I feel like, and of course there are abusive and destructive relationships, you know, no matter what age you are, but why do you think it is that so many teenagers tend to stay in relationships much, much longer than they should that are destructive and and unhealthy like this? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons, and of course every relationship is different, but I can speak from my own experience and what I've kind of observed is that for a lot of these teens, like you can come from a totally amazing, awesome, wonderful home and and be in in a bad romance. That's totally possible. But at least in my case, you know, I came from a broken home. I had this very challenging relationship with a stepfather who ultimately kicked me out of the house like right after graduation. So you can see that that wasn't like a great relationship. Um, my dad was an addict and he wasn't around and my mom was in a bad romance with my stepdad. So it was like this really tumultuous home life. And I think that when you, um, and, and both guys and girls obviously can be in, you know, victims in these relationships, but I do tend to hear from women the most. Um, but that might just be because guys are, might not be comfortable talking about it. Um, because I know that some guys definitely have abusive girlfriends, but Um, I think when you have a really tumultuous home life and you don't have the support that you need and home isn't a safe space, you're going to look for it elsewhere. And, you know, if you are a teen girl, but really any person, because I get letters from, you know, adult women too about this stuff, you know, you're looking for a safe space. And here comes this person, it could be a guy or girl, you know, who offers you a safe space and they're not going to come out, you know, swinging. So you have no idea that, you know, they're manipulative and jealous and that they're going to completely destroy your self-esteem and maybe physically harm you. Like, you don't know that's going to happen. You just see this person who wants to love you and and be a safe place for you. And so I think that is part of it. I mean, when I was in high school, there were so many times that I knew I needed to break up with my boyfriend, but I also very consciously knew that, like, if I broke up with him, I wouldn't have a safe space. Like, it was a weird situation where I had a really dysfunctional family, so my my parents were really strict, and they wouldn't let me go out with my friends very much, and I wasn't allowed to drive with teenagers, but my boyfriend was in college, so 
my mom was like, oh, he's more responsible, so he can drive you. So he was, like, literally my only escape from, like, unless I was at work, home, or school. It was, like, he was my only place to kind of get out of those places. Um, but I think also there's just all the issues that come up with any person of, you know, if you have, especially as a teen, you know, you're being marketed with all these things about, you know, being beautiful and perfect and cool, and I can't even imagine being a teenager with social media, oh, my God. Like, my boyfriend was so jealous, and I can't even imagine if I had Facebook or something, like, how that would have been magnified even more. Um, but there's all these, you know, pressures on you, and then, you know, your, your self-confidence is very fragile. And so when this guy comes along, and he boosts that self-confidence, and you're, and you're feeling good, but then he has also given himself that power to tear you down, it's you just become very dependent on this relationship and you'll believe anything that he says. And so I think that's something that could happen to anybody regardless of their, their home situation. I, I can confirm. I actually, um, I came from a stable background. My parents are still married and all that, but uh, I wasn't a teenager. I was in my early 20s. And I, like, reading your book gave me serious flashbacks about what that was like. And just listening to you talk about it, I was like, oh my God, that's totally what, I mean, it's, and it's interesting because it's one of those things you don't realize when you're in the middle of it. I mean, I knew I should break up with him and I had family and friends telling me to break up with him. But I think, you know, and this is one of those things where it's addressed in the book a little bit. It's, it's not physically violent. It's not physically abusive. And so you know, you have this idea in your head of what an abusive relationship looks like. And that usually involves some kind of physical violence. And it's not until it was like after I left him, and it still probably took me two years until after I left him before I was able to reflect back and realize like that's what was going on. Um, yeah. So it can happen, I think, to anybody of, of any background. And it's just, it's so, it's so hard. So it, I, it does not surprise me that one in three, like that, that is a statistic. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard so, so many people have said exactly what you just said, where it, it's, some people are in these relationships, like right now, those are hard emails to get, but, um, a lot of them have been people that are like, oh my God, I have like PTSD when I'm reading this book. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so, it's so true. And I think one of the things that is really hard, well, two things, one thing, that I really wanted to show people was that it's not as simple as just breaking up with him. I think um, one of the fears I had when I was writing the book was that people would think that Grace was weak because she was staying with him. And it was really important for me to show um, sort of like how manipulation plays such a huge role because we often get this idea of people that stay in abusive relationships, whether they're verbal or physical or whatever we think of them as weak, like, why doesn't she just leave him? Why is she putting up with that? Especially when, you know, you're not, you don't have kids with that person, you know, you don't have as many things tying you to that person, but it's really powerful, like, how somebody over time can slowly, gradually shift the power dynamic so that they know exactly which buttons to push and exactly what to say to get you to stay, and it always plays on your insecurities. And, like, that was something that was important for me to show in the book was, you know, moments when Grace would be like, you know, screw this guy and leaving him, he's terrible, and she would try to break up with him, and then he would always have, like, this, this one thing that would get her to stay, but it would be different every time. So even though she thought she was ready for what he was going to throw at her, then she was constantly thrown off balance. Um, 
And that was important for me to show because I think, you know, people get really frustrated when they see their friends or family members in these relationships. And it's really hard to understand if you haven't been in one yourself. So something about Grace that both Jill and I can connect with is the connection to using drama and theater. Um, I had my own reasons for being obsessed with theater as a, a, a teenager, but before I kind of go into my stuff, I'm curious because you mentioned that that was part of that's a part of your life too. What was it about theater and the kind of that atmosphere that drew you uh, to want to seek it out? Oh, I have been a drama nerd forever. I love it so much. Um, for me, I started when I was really young and. Ultimately, like now that I'm, you know, a writer and I'm not doing theater anymore, but, you know, I'm not closing that door, but I'm not doing it anymore right now. Um, I always come back to storytelling. And again, like going back to that idea of a safe space. And I think for me, books have always been a safe space and the theater was always a safe space. And I loved the theater because it was like a book come to life. You know, you could really, you know, just be that character if you're an actor um, and be in that place on that set. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in, we're at Verona or wherever you are. Um, and I also just felt so, like, I talk a lot about Rent um, and Hamilton a bit too, but in this in this book, and for me, like, Rent was everything. And I just so identified with these people that had these dreams to, like, do something with their lives and be themselves, but they kept coming up against all these challenges. And also that idea of, like, your friends as your family. And like I mentioned before about my complicated home life, you know, the theater has such a tight-knit community, and I think more than the plays or performing or eventually I became a director, it was the people, it was the cast and the crew and my fellow theater geeks and how we just became a family, and when you're in a show with people, you get all these inside jokes, and it just becomes this whole, like, little world that you're all in together, and the stakes are high because you have a show coming up, and, you know, and it's just, it's so amazing that closeness that you get with those people and I have not found that anywhere else in any other community and I have a lot of great friends and great communities I'm part of but there's just something about the theater and so I think for me you know growing up you know in a broken home and then having home not be a safe space like the theater was this one place that I could run to and it, it, it accepts everybody it is like the land of misfits so I knew that no matter what I was experiencing like I was safe there. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, that theater does become, like, this safe space. I, I completely agree. I, in my, when I was in high school and kind of growing up, like, if someone saw me from the outside looking in, like, I have always been very, when it, like, externally, incredibly outgoing, and I was, you know, a, a captain of our football and baseball teams. Like, I, I was very much, like, I'm extroverted, especially between Jill and I, the two of us. <laughs> I am the extrovert of the two of us, but... <laughs> but I like internally I've always been an incredibly emotional person like when I was a teenager like it wasn't cool to be a 16 year old boy who would like cry at night just because I was reading a book or something like that and then I discovered when I would go to the theater like it's such a judgment free zone it's like oh I can spend five hours with these people and they don't you know it's not it's not that they don't care but they're not going to judge you for any of those types of things and you're absolutely right that little that bond that you form when there's like going to Denny's at one in the morning after a show. Yes, Denny's! <laughs> I, yeah, I feel you like... You always go to Friendly's, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. It's just, um, there, 
there is something about like those moments that you create, you know, after a show or when you're you're leading up to it in a you know, there's a dress rehearsal and like four things go wrong at the exact same time and you, you don't know how you're going to pull it together. Um, I have to ask because I didn't, I haven't counted while reading, but do you have any idea how many shows you reference in the book? Oh, that is such a good question. And someone has asked me that before and I was like, I'm going to go count. And then I totally <laughs> forgot. But it is a lot because it's not, I don't always name the show, but there'll be like a little, you know, like little, what do they call them? Is it Easter eggs? And there's like a little yeah, thing hidden and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So I have those kind of peppered throughout, but I tried to have a range because, you know, I know everyone likes different shows, but, um, you know, I wrote this book after, um, you know, Hamilton had come out and I actually got to see Hamilton with, well, Lin-Manuel wasn't performing that night, but it's everybody else. Um, and so I definitely wanted to throw Hamilton in there, but, um, but I feel like no matter how old or new the musical is, like theater people just know them. We just love them all, it seems like. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I, I remember when the copies of the book arrived at our office, and <laughs> Adam came over and brought it over, and I just, like, opened it up to the first page, and your first line, you know, quotes rent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm yeah, sold. <laughs> we, were both, we were both in, literally, from word one. We were like, yeah, this is... <laughs> This is our type of human. <laughs> this is our person. But I mean, I think you're right, though. I mean, I saw Rent when I was in high school and very much identified with it. Um, and I did the same thing where I'm like imagining myself moving to New York City and walking along and living in the village and all that. And yeah, you, you, if you are into theater, you know all of the musicals, no matter if they were brand new right now or, you know, decades old. And so I, I liked that element of it, even though obviously something like Hamilton really puts it right now, um, what you talk about and the other musicals sort of in a way makes the book timeless. And then in another few decades, when Hamilton is one of those old musicals, (laughs) like it'll still resonate, I think, you know, just the magic of the theater. Hamilton will... (laughs) Kind of a weird... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Hamilton will still be on Broadway in like four decades, I'm sure. Oh, I know, it still will, but I'm just saying, though. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah, I had a a weird experience because I live in New York City now, um, but like Grace, you know, I had been stuck in this kind of small town in California, even though I'm from L.A., but when I was in high school, I lived in this small central area of California, and um, I keep meaning to write about this, and I haven't written about it, so I'm just going to tell you guys, and maybe it'll motivate me to write about it, but um, I was walking... To, um, I was near Washington Square. I don't know if you're like super familiar with the city or not, but um, mm-hmm. I had I had planned to apply to Tisch um, for their acting school, which is at NYU. And I had just finished Bad Romance, and I got out of the subway and I was walking to my meditation studio. But then I looked and I saw this big banner for Tisch, and it was so sad because one of the reasons I didn't apply was because my boyfriend didn't want me to, and I just had this really just. It was just a weird, bittersweet moment because I had finished this book and I was just like, it was all so present for me, this relationship. And, and I was like, okay, well, I didn't go to Tish, but I'm here now. And it was this really interesting sort of arc, you know? And then, of course, it's like the city of the theater. And now I'm like, even though I'm not doing theater now, I'm like surrounded by theater people all the time. And it's just really weird to kind of see how things play out, you know? Uh, by the way, I just, I, I know that you're in the theater capital of the world, but I do want to tell you, if you are traveling for a book tour or anything, Cleveland actually has this, outside of New York City, has the second biggest theater district in the country. 
Um, That's amazing! Yeah, so our uh, theater district is called Playhouse Square, and we actually have a Broadway series that um, we get, like, somewhere between seven and nine shows every single year. And as luck would have it, this year we actually, we're getting rent um, in, I think, a month or two. We're yeah, going to January. see it in January. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Hamilton oh Hamilton is coming in July or August. Yeah. So I'm just saying, if you're making a trip, <laughs> I, uh, I am a season ticket holder for Playhouse. So if you need, you know, someone to find you some tickets, just saying. Oh, my gosh. I would love that. Well, yeah, because it's hard. And a lot of the shows here sell out anyway. So, like, that's the hard thing about New York. Like, if you're not on top of it, you know. Um, so, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I, I love that there there are all these pockets around the country with amazing theater. Um, and it's always kind of fun to see sort of what the vibe of each place is. Like, there's a lot of it that feels like home. And then each place has its own sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Oh, man. <laughs> Do you have a favorite musical of all time? Oh, it's definitely Rent. I'll just say that. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I love, love, love Hamilton, and I love Les Mis, like, with a huge, huge passion. I've seen it so many times, but Rent just, I mean, I don't know. There's just something about it, and it's not its not just the music, which I love. I have friends that hate the show. I don't understand them, but that's fine, <laughs> you know. But for me, just, like, the time, like, when I was listening to that musical, I one thing I didn't mention in the book um, Originally, this was going to be a memoir, and then we decided to make it fiction. But when it was a memoir, there's this whole other story that I didn't even bring in, which is that um, I was raised in this really fundamentalist evangelical home. And so, of course, as a theater kid, that's a really hard place to be. And Rent was just like this space where I could explore like alternative lifestyles and different ways of being and um, tolerance and all of these things that I wasn't experiencing in my home life and actually the town that I live in is, was pretty conservative too um, and so Rent just sort of was like let your freak flags you know fly mm-hmm. and I feel like it like changed my life <laughs> really is okay so just to continue putting you on the spot I'm going to play off with Jill S. is there any show or performance that you wish you had seen that you you haven't well, when I did see Hamilton and Lin-Manuel wasn't performing, That's that fair. broke my heart. <laughs> um, so that was really hard. But the one I would have said was seeing Alan Cumming in Cabaret as the MC. But then I saw him because they did another Broadway revival. And that was, like, an ama- like that was a religious experience, seeing him perform that role. <laughs> so um, um, I love that show. <laughs> I, I know you, you had said before we started recording that you had um, listened to some of our previous episodes. I don't know how far back he went, <laughs> but we actually got to interview him and meet him, like, in person last year. And, uh... For his autobiography? Yeah. 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 Well, it was, it was for, uh, he, he made a book about, of pictures, uh, that he, like, photography that he does, and it's called You've Got to Get Bigger Dreams. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah he's, he's the most lovely man in the world. Can confirm. <laughs> yeah, we can confirm that that is accurate. And I actually, it's funny you say that because that, if I, the, I asked you that question because my answer is actually also Alan Cumming and Cabaret. And I got to tell him that to his face and have him just be like, well, sorry, I don't know what to do for you, buddy. It was, it was a pretty great moment. Yeah, I actually had a, a like a crazy weird awesome experience, which is that my meditation teacher is his meditation teacher. So he came to our studio a couple weeks ago, and it was only like maybe 50 people in the room, and just kind of hung out and talked with us about meditation and about acting, and 
and, and about all the things he cares about, which is a lot of things. And he's, he's like what it's all about. Like that's, to me, that's like the consummate artist, like somebody who has talent, but also who is so compassionate and just really sees themselves as this kind of, you know, this, this creating a space for people to explore ideas and to kind of broaden their horizons. And like, he's so inspiring to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, your Alan Cummings story clearly trumps our yeah, Alan yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, we just we just inter- <laughs> we interviewed him at a library in front of some people. You got to hang out with him for a long time, so I think you win. Well, I didn't talk to him personally. I was way too shy. I had to hide him. I was like, I can't, I can't. It's Alan Cummings. I can't. Uh, that's so funny. Um, so something else. I suppose we should move on at least for a moment from Broadway. Um, something else that's on your your website that you do that I really love is you are a writing coach. Mm-hmm. So, one, we're interviewing you during November, which is National Novel Writing Month, but um, just on like a kind of a broader scale, what made you want to be a writing coach? And then if there are people listening to this doing National Novel Writing Month, do you have any advice for people who are struggling with that daily, you know, gotta hit a word count situation? Yeah, I'm doing NaNoWriMo this month as well, on, and I'm crazy because it's a historical fiction, and I'm like, oh my god, how do I research and write at the same time? It's so hard. Um, but yeah, I, so I became a writing coach because I just love the artistic process. I'm so fascinated by it, and so fascinated by how artists live. Like, I just saw um, the Dresden Dolls this past weekend in, in, in Boston, and Amanda Palmer is like one of my artistic idols, and... So I follow her a lot, and and I'm just really interested in how artists do what they do and how they make it work because, you know, obviously it's a very uncertain lifestyle, and I've had my own challenges. I mean, I write full-time, so coaching is like a side, just like passion project of mine, but, um, you know, it's hard. It's it's just hard to be an artist. It's hard to pay the bills. It's, It's hard living in that place of uncertainty, both, you know, financially and artistically, you know, you never know if you're going to have another idea and you just have to trust that you will and you have to trust the process and that, you know, you know what you're doing. And even if you don't know what you're doing, like, you know, the story has to be told. Um, and so I've had it, a lot of challenges just navigating that, you know, over the course of my entire life, just going from, you know, all, you know, acting, then directing, then writing and, um, and, there's so many similarities for all creatives, but for writers, it's especially hard because you're all by yourself. Um, and like down the road, of course, you have editors and stuff like that, but it's a very solitary journey and it's really easy to kind of um, to have that inner critic mess with your head a lot. And so um, I just really wanted to help writers who were struggling. Um, or and, and that struggle doesn't have to be something as serious as a creative block, although that's usually why people come to me, but... Um, it could also just be like lack of motivation or, you know, not trusting yourself or not knowing if you've got what it takes or whatever it is. Um, and so for NaNoWriMo, um, I actually posted on my blog about this that um, for this year, what I'm suggesting that people do is to have a mindful NaNoWriMo, which is basically um, kind of counterintuitive because. I don't know about you guys, but usually when I'm on deadline, it's like, okay, I'm going to drink a lot of coffee, I'm going to stay up super, super, super late, and I'm going to write as much as I can, you know, like, that, that, that's our normal way of being, but that's actually, like, not super efficient, because they're just frying your brain, um, and so what I've noticed over, you know, I've really been studying, like, the past several months, like, what is the link between meditation and creativity, because I know that there is one, but there aren't a lot of studies on it, 
And I started to realize that if I meditate, like right before I write, I'm, I have way more flow. I, my word count is way higher. I don't know what it is. It's just something about like settling your mind and just getting yourself into that place. Um, but also what happens in meditation neurologically also happens during flow, which is really interesting. And so you're kind of training your, your brain to be in flow, basically, when you're sitting and meditating. Um, so I'm actually writing a blog post um, every week this month, kind of giving new tips on like meditation or mindfulness or just sort of ways that you can kind of stay sane because I think that not only is it a crazy amount of words to write every day, like I know people do it a little bit differently. I'm doing it so it's like 1,667 words a day, which for me isn't a lot when I'm really familiar with the story, but for a new book, that's really hard because you don't know the characters yet, you know. Um, 50,000 words in a month is a lot of words. <laughs> so, um, you know, everyone's kind of trying to find those hacks, and I feel like that is definitely one of them is to do that counterintuitive thing and actually, like, sit for a few minutes and breathe and just chill out, even though that feels really inefficient. <laughs> I'm, I'm so bad at stopping it. I, looking at my life from the outside, I'm, I literally, I'm like, if you see a duck, I'm the feet underwater. Like, I just, I can't stop <laughs> moving. Um, I, you're, by the way, just for people who are listening, your blog is mindfulnessforwriters.com, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, I would absolutely check it out. It's amazing. Oh. So yeah, but I, this is exactly, that's like you're speaking to my soul, like, hey, slow down, take a deep breath, do some meditation. <laughs> I'm going to do this. This is right up my alley. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's funny because most people I talk to say like, I, I can't medicate, meditate, I can't do, I almost said medicate, but you know, it's kind of the same thing. Um, but, but it's really like, you can, I, I mean, I'm like, I'm so your like A type ambitious neurotic New Yorker person like the last person that will ever stop I'm a total workaholic like so so bad and I figured out how to do it and the key is the guided meditation like online there's so many guided meditations like if you just try to sit on your own and you've never done it before that's really real that's like really hard <laughs> so yeah it's possible uh, one thing I love on your website is that you have a link to your Pinterest page where you have pages for each of your books with sort of inspiration and looking through the bad romance one having read the book everything makes sense I mean like <laughs> every pin I totally <laughs> kind of get it and I and I love this idea I usually will make Spotify playlists sort of around the same idea but I'm I might have to start doing the Pinterest page because it's, so it's just it's so good and you really can see how it kind of connects you know to to the books it's really, really helpful. Um, I also have a Spotify. I have a breakup playlist that I made on Spotify for Bad Romance. So if anyone's thinking about breaking up with a certain person, go listen to that. Because I had I had to listen to it to just keep myself going through the book because it was a hard book to write. Mm -hmm. um, it's very empowering. But, yeah, the Pinterest is a different thing because it's, it's very visual. And so it kind of gives you, like, a different way of entering into the story. And especially with my fantasy books, like, I get whole ideas based on a picture I see on Pinterest. Like, it'll just spark something for me. Um, and for my contemporaries, like like Bad Romance or I'll Meet You There, um, it really helps me to figure out the tone of the book. Like, what does the book feel like? Um, and a little bit of sort of, like, the internal aspect of my characters. And it's just helpful to see. People are so creative. There's so many amazing things on there. So you can kind of go wild with it. <laughs> 
So I want to kind of um, backtrack a little bit to something you just said about it being a hard book to write and then how you previously said it, it sort of was starting as a memoir and then it was decided to turn it into fiction. Do you think that made it easier or harder to write? It made it, well, I didn't know what it was going to, how it was going to feel, but retrospectively, I can say that it definitely made it easier um, because I had to make Gavin, like, I had to create a character that I could fall in love with because I was so not in love with my ex-boyfriend that I just felt, like, like literally nauseous when I tried to write the memoir. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't have this in Bad Romance because it's, takes place only just during Grace's present life, but um, I've had a recurring nightmare uh, basically since I broke up with my boyfriend and I broke up with him when I was like 18. Um, I have it every year, several times a year, and in the dream, I like have this moment where I realize that my life that I, that I, Heather Demetrius, have right now is the dream and that I'm actually like married to this guy and in this bad romance and I never got out and it's like horrible and I always like wake up crying and it's awful um and so I still got that when I was writing bad romance but it wasn't as bad as I think that it would have been when I was writing the memoir and I wrote a lot of the memoir but I'm glad that we switched it to fiction because I I knew that the only way people would understand the experience is if they if I write this character Mm -hmm. that they're like oh he's cute you know and then kind of realize that he has these you know, ugly sides to him. Um, but I also had to read all my journals, which I journal, mm. you know, regularly in my whole life, actually. So I took all the journals from high school and had to reread them, which was really hard. But it, it helped me for the novel as well. So, yeah, it was a little, I kind of felt like I also wrote a memoir, but just <laughs> not for anyone else to see. <laughs> actually, that's actually, the journal thing really struck me because um, I, when I, it's all related, I promise. When I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, I was living with him at the time, and I, and I left, and I, I went to a hotel, um, and we had a phone call. Like, I called him, or he called me, I can't remember, but it's a thing where, like, you broke up, but you still, like, you're not really ready to really leave, and and he admitted to me that he had read my journals without telling me, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so that was sort of the so moment. Bad. I know. I mean, yeah, he's like, well, I read your journals, and you said all this stuff about me. And, and well, yeah, I did. because I mean, but, yeah, that part I remember of the book. I was like, yeah, that, been mm-hmm. there, been there. Oh <laughs> it's such a violation. It really is. It's, it's so horrible. And that, and that was something I was so paranoid about, and I realized that I when I was reading my journals, because – yeah, you, my boyfriend, like, basically demanded that I let him read my, but I, like, read them out loud to him, so I at least was able to censor them. Right. But I started, like, censoring myself. Like, I would see if I ever said anything bad about him. I always had to immediately, like, explain why, oh, no, but actually it's my fault because, or yeah. whatever, because there was that part of me that was, like, what if he, you know, wants to read them again or whatever. Um, and, again, that goes back to that idea of, like, manipulation and control and, you know, all the ways that these relationships kind of, like, get these tentacles around you and, and make it hard to get out. Yep. Man. 
Alright, I'm gonna go ahead and do a classic Adam awkward transition now, if you're ready for that. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. Um, so, obviously we had a very you know, heavy conversation, sandwiched with some Broadway in the middle there, not obviously not so heavy. Um, we like to always end our shows on a little, little bit more of a light-hearted note. So we have nine questions that we call the Nerd Nine. Um, these are gonna be much easier than everything we just talked about, I promise. Was, I, I hope so. If if they're if these are difficult, then we messed up. So we'll see. Um, so the first one is: What is the last book you finished reading? Um, Turtles All the Way Down, actually. Oh, love John That's Green. The John Green. Yeah. Love John, John Green. Green. Book. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Um. Yes, I have this chair, which is an awesome chair that I put in my office. And I write there sometimes, but mostly I read there. And then I get another chair and, like, put my legs up. But there's this lamp that is just perfect lighting that gets just the book. But I could have the rest of the room dark, and it's super cozy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you remember what book made you fall in love with reading? Yeah, it it was probably Little Women. That book just, and, you know, the character of Joe Marsh being a writer, of course. But, um, you know, they just, like... That, again, going back to safe spaces, like, that was this beautiful family that was so wonderful and warm and welcoming, and I liked to just sort of hang out with them as much as I could, and I real- that's when I realized, like, oh, books are a place I can go to um, when I need that sort of sense of safety or adventure or whatever I needed, but I knew that that was a place I could get that, and Overdrive for free if you use the library, so... Um, that was really great, too, growing up and not having a lot of money for books and being able to go to the library all the time. Thanks for the plug we didn't ask for. <laughs> Appreciate that. I know. I know. But I, I seriously, like, love the library so much. And my husband, like, he generally buys books. And I and I buy books, too, obviously. But I love libraries so much. And I'm always just like, why don't you use the library more? So. <laughs> I think you guys are awesome. <laughs> I always I always tell people all the time, like, they assume that I work, because we work here, we don't read physical books, and then they assume that because we work here, we don't buy books. Uh, I, just this past weekend, <laughs> spent several hundred dollars at, uh, at a bookstore buying all sorts of books. So not only do I read physical and digital, but I also buy stuff all the time. So I appreciate <laughs> all, all channels. So good job by you guys. Um, <laughs> what is one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? So I travel a lot, but the one place that I can't believe I haven't been to just because it hasn't worked out is Greece, because I'm Greek. It's crazy <laughs> that I haven't been there, but um, we're planning on going sometime soon, So, but I have to go to Hamburg now to research for a book, so it's going to be put off again, but hopefully that'll be our next big trip. The trip is Greece. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? I love Thanksgiving so much. It's the best. But it's the best because my husband and I just spend it together and we get up really early and watch the parade because we're nerds and we have mimosas and it's amazing. <laughs> I I watch the parade every single year. So I you're Yay! again, speaking of safe, safe places, I feel like this is a nice safe place for all of us right now. Right, right. <laughs> Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee, very much coffee. <laughs> Cats or dogs? dogs i have a crazy big mutt and i love him so much i i try with cats but i feel like they don't like me (laughs) no they know all things so that also makes me uncomfortable i think that's just cats normal yeah that's just cats in general that's just cats yeah that's it's not a you thing that's just cats um do you have a favorite food chips and salsa because i'm from la and 
there's nothing better than like restaurant chips and salsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last one, if you could have dinner with anyone you would want, uh, dead or alive, who would you pick? Oh, that's so hard. Um, well, since I just saw the Dresden Dolls and I'm super inspired right now, I would say Amanda Palmer because she is just like the most fascinating human being and I'm really interested, like I said, in different ways to make art and she makes so much art and so many different kinds of art and I'm really curious about like how she does that. So I think that would be very helpful to me if I had dinner with her. Could also, that might shoehorn into it uh, with Neil Gaiman yeah. there as well. So that's just a double, that's a that's two wins. I right mean, du- we could totally double date. Totally. I'm a writer, I th- it'd be great. <laughs> so, uh, Heather, last question. What do you hope readers take away from reading Bad Romance? I hope that they just know that if they are in a situation, and it doesn't have to be a bad romance, it could be some other intolerable, horrible situation, um, that they can get out and that they can get out, get out on their own power. Um, because even though I had made sure that Grace, like I had amazing friends when I was experiencing that, and Grace has amazing friends, um, but ultimately she has to make that choice and do it herself. And um, it's hard when I read characters who are going through something and then like, you know, a knight in shining armor comes in, rescues them or some lucky circumstance. But I really love seeing characters who really have to come to those hard places themselves and, you know, get all that courage inside them and and make whatever needs to happen, happen. So I think that's what I would hope that they take away because I I think it's a survivor's tale um, for any situation that's that's really difficult. Um, And so ultimately, I hope that it's empowering and, um, you know, that it inspires people, especially anyone that's in a bad romance right now. Well, as I have to say, I I think this book is beyond incredible and so important, and I want everyone to read it, no matter how they go and read it. But I just just want to say, it's been a really, really long time since I've enjoyed a conversation as much as this one. Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was so great talking about all these wonderful things and and with fellow theater people. Like, it really doesn't get better than that. (laughs) Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.